0: 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 through 15. The title of this morning's message is Beware. I had told you last time we were together that the Apostle Paul was getting to a place in his book towards the end where he was trying to warn the believers in the Corinthian church that they had among them false teachers. Those that would turn their hearts away from God. In an effort to uh, to to make themselves the center of that church. They were pushing not only the Apostle Paul out, which is what their ultimate goal, I believe, was. They, they were jealous of Paul. They were jealous of the love that the Corinthian church had for Paul. They were jealous of the connection Paul had with the Corinthian church. So they were trying to push Paul out by what they were saying about Paul, uh, by what they were saying in reference to, to Paul's sincerity, Paul's message. But in the process, these teachers were also changing the message. And so... I don't know if their original intention was to push Christ out of the message, but it seems, according to chapter 11, that is what is happening. That maybe, if not all, some of these false teachers were actually giving a new gospel. And this gospel did not include Christ as God. So the Apostle Paul is dealing with this pretty hard. He's, he's uh, kind of hitting these guys uh, pretty severely in, in what he's saying. He's not holding back any punches Paul loved the Corinthian church so much, he was willing to offend the false teachers so that the members of the Corinthian church would not be offended spiritually. You know, sometimes, as Christians, we are afraid of offending the wrong people. (laughs) In an effort to not offend those who hate God, in an effort to not offend those who hate the Bible... And in an effort to not offend those who believe we're a bunch of fools, we don't want to offend them. What do we end up doing? Offending those who love God, love the Bible, and believe that Christianity is the real deal. Too many preachers, too many leaders, too many Christians are afraid to offend, but you're looking at the wrong people. I am not saying that we should purposely offend anyone. I'm not saying that we should be looking to offend anyone. But I am saying this, if I'm going to give a statement, I'm going to ask myself, will this statement offend God and his people before I'll ask myself, will this statement offend those who hate God and his people? The Apostle Paul said some things I guarantee you are going to offend the false teachers in this church. He didn't care. He cared about the people of God more than he did these false teachers. How about you? Do you care about those who hate God more than those who love God? Are you afraid of offending those who disbelieve truth more than you are those who believe truth? Not that our lives should be offensive, but the truth is this. God's Word will offend those who don't believe it. All right, so I have three points this morning, the false gospel, a false claim, and a false teacher. Let's go ahead and look at some of these verses now. Verse 1 of chapter 11, would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. All right, what is he saying? Well, remember, last time we were together, we were looking at chapter 10, and the apostle Paul stated, only fools compare themselves with other fools. Only fools lift up themselves. Only fools talk about themselves. And the Apostle Paul now, beginning a a new chapter, says, Now, bear with my foolishness for a time. He says, in order for you to see the false teachers for who they are, I want you to see me for who I am. I want you to recognize the clarity, uh, the simplicity of who I am and the truth that I preach versus who these guys are And the the falsehoods that they are preaching. So the Apostle Paul essentially in verse chapter 10 said, don't compare. Now in chapter 11 he says, let's compare. (laughs) But he's saying, I recognize this is foolishness. And it's not something you should do often. But I want you to compare and contrast their truth versus my truth. Their life versus my life. And see the difference. So let's go to verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He's not saying I envy you. He's not saying that I covet what you have. He's saying I am jealous. I desire that you as godly jealousy, I desire that, he says, I have espoused you to one husband, that I present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. My jealousy, my desire is that you would stand before God and he would be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. My desire is that as a church, you would honor God, glorify God, lift up God, serve God, sacrifice for God rather than run from God. Verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, through his deception. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says the gospel is simple. God made it that way. God wants everyone to be saved. I am concerned that these false teachers will deceive you into thinking the gospel is, is not as simple as it is. That these false teachers will add into the gospel and make it more than faith in Christ. So let's see here, these three points, beginning with a false gospel, point number one, letter A. A false gospel pulls you toward men. The gospel of Christ pulls you towards him. Look at verse 2. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. The Apostle Paul says, the gospel that I'm teaching, the gospel that I'm preaching, is the gospel of Christ. And my desire and my jealousy is that you are pulled and pushed towards Christ. Which implies pretty strongly, whatever these guys are teaching is not doing that. He says, I'm concerned that the gospel they're giving you is pulling you towards them. I want to pull you towards Christ. And as I stated, wasn't that the problem? These teachers, these so-called spiritual leaders, these false prophets and teachers in the church of Corinth were jealous of Paul... They wanted the love that the church had for Paul. They wanted the popularity that the church gave Paul. They wanted the honor that the church gave Paul. And Paul says, I don't want any of that. I want them to follow God. And these false teachers said, we want them to follow us. You see, a false gospel, anything that does not lift up Christ, inevitably is lifting up someone else. And almost always, very likely, that someone else is the one doing the preaching. Is the one doing the speaking. Because church, we are either here to worship Christ or we're not. We're either here because of Christ or we're not. We're here for Christ or we're not. And if it's not Christ, then who? Who are we here to worship? Who are we here for? And who are we here because of? If you think it's me, you are deceived. It's not me, and it surely isn't you. So we're back to Christ again. That is the pure gospel, Christ. I believe there are those who preach a pure gospel. They place Christ as the Savior of our souls. They place Christ as the Son of God, where he deserves to be. But they taint that pure gospel with a portion of a false gospel, and they include themselves on a level of Christ. They say, Christ and the man of God. Christ and the voice of God. Christ and the servant of God. They want to place Christ on the throne, but they want to at his right hand right next to him, and they want you to be convinced that's where they belong. A pure gospel is Christ, Christ, and Christ. Even God the Holy Spirit points to Christ. Even God the Father said, This is my son, honor him. Christ. How dare we think, let alone act on a belief that anyone in this room, anyone in this world deserves to be placed with Christ? We don't. And a false gospel teaches as much. Letter B, a false gospel manipulates you. The gospel of Christ offers a clear, simple path. Look at verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled. The Apostle Paul says, my concern is, just like Satan manipulated, deceived, and tricked Eve, I'm concerned that these false teachers, with a false gospel, will manipulate, deceive, and trick you. That what they say will make sense because it will include partial truths. Because that's what Satan did. He said, has the Lord said? And and Satan gave partial truths, but then brought his own lies and mixed it in with those partial truths. And we are confronted with the same problem. Many men and women today question God, outrightly or state the truths of God but include their own lies paired with those truths how do you know when you're hearing lies and truths you know if you know the truth of God's word you'll recognize ah that's not in the Bible actually actually there's nowhere in scripture that says that if you don't know the truth though it's easy to swallow the lies with the truths the small portion of which you do know so the Apostle Paul says this false gospel is just one of manipulation. They're trying to mess with you. They're trying to trick you. They're trying to deceive you. Look, how do you know when there is a leader in your life who is truly representing Christ? Because Christ doesn't manipulate. You know, on the opposite side, you see what Christ's doing? As, as people were following Christ and as they came to him and said, hey, I want to be your disciple. You know what Christ said? Are you sure about that? Because I don't have anywhere to live. You're sure about that? Because I'm not rich. Are you sure about that? Because if you go with me, you can't be with your dad who's dying. Are you sure you want to follow me? He doesn't manipulate people into following him. He actually confronts their commitment and says, are you sure about that? And then he states in another passage, those who want to be my disciples should be likened to those who are building a large tower. Consider, do you have the money you need to build the tower before you start? It's like those going to war. Do you have the soldiers you need to win the battle before you go to war? Consider the cost before you make the commitment. Now, that is not for salvation. Salvation is free. That's for discipleship. God is not going to manipulate you into any decision. He's going to give you the solution, make it clear, make it simple, and say the choice is yours. Whether it's salvation or discipleship. These false teachers are trying to manipulate. They're trying to trick They're trying to get you to follow them by making you think you're following God, but you're really not. The Apostle Paul is trying to point that out for these Christians. Letter C, a false gospel eliminates Christ's deity outright, but the gospel of Christ glorifies his deity. Glorifies it. Verse 4, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached... Or if ye receive another spirit, the Holy Spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, which we have not accepted, ye might uh, well bear with him. The Apostle Paul, when he says ye might well bear with him, is saying, I am concerned. That someone will come and preach something other than Jesus, other than the Spirit, and other than the gospel. And I'm concerned you'll actually bear with them. What does that mean? To bear with someone is to connect with them, to to stand alongside them, to carry with them what they're carrying. He says, I'm concerned you'll start following them. I'm concerned that if if I let these false teachers stay here preaching another gospel than Christ eliminating his deity, and saying Christ was just a good man. Christ was just a good prophet. The things he did we should, we should emulate, but he wasn't God. He, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm concerned that as these men preach that, you will start believing them. How about that another spirit one? He says, you know, we have the Holy Spirit. I'm concerned that these guys will impart on you a different spirit than the Holy Spirit, a spirit that's more emotional than anything else, a spirit that could almost be demonic, he said, I'm concerned that if, he, if these false teachers get you all wrapped up in, in a high emotional spiritual state that is not the Holy Spirit, that you'll be convinced these guys must be telling the truth and you'll bear with them. Experience is a powerful motivator. Experience is a powerful truth speaker. I say truth speaker. For a lot of people, they think experiences are their truth. The problem is you may not be interpreting those experiences correctly. You may be misinterpreting your experiences and coming out with a false truth, but you believe it to be true. And there's a lot of folks who are religious, who have experiences while going to church, all types of churches, including ones that look like this. They have experiences at that church, and they walk away thinking, I've now experienced something, what they said, Must be true because I experienced something while I was there. I had tingles in my fingers. I had tingles in my spine. I felt lifted up. I felt almost on cloud nine. I felt an out-of-body experience. I had a spiritual awakening. I had a spiritual uh, inner uh, peace I've never felt before. I had something spiritual going on. That must be the truth because I experienced it. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying I'm concerned you'll forget the truth because of what you've experienced with these guys. I'm concerned you'll believe their false truth of who Christ supposedly was or was not because of the spiritual experience that you'll have. But let me tell you, any gospel that takes away the deity of Christ, no matter what you've experienced, is a false gospel. Any gospel that does not glorify Christ as God, I don't care what you experienced, It's a false gospel. Stop letting experience tell you what's right or wrong. And instead, look at God's word. And recognize Christ, whether you experienced him on a high level or not, Christ is God. Number two, a false claim. Verses 5 through 12. For I suppose that I was not a wit, a little, behind the very chiefest of apostles. He says, hey, remember, Bear with my folly here, right? Bear with me as I foolishly point out my qualifications so that you can better believe what I'm saying. Bear with my folly. He says in verse 5, hey, I wasn't just, you know, largely behind the apostles. I mean, I was, I was right there with the apostles, okay? I am an apostle of God, right up there with the other 11, right up there with the best of them, you might say. He says, the very chiefest of apostles, verse 6, but though I be rude in speech yet not in knowledge. Now that's interesting. That word rude in speech doesn't mean he's offensive or rude in the sense of saying things that cause you to be upset. Rude means base. Rude means uneducated. A lot of people, I think, believe the Apostle Paul to be some renowned great speaker. On more than one occasion, the Apostle Paul speaks of his own ability as a communicator as not so great. He says, I'm actually not a great communicator, and I know that. He says that when I preach in person, I recognize I'm not a great speaker. Look, guys, it was the Apostle Paul when preaching that someone fell asleep and literally died. They fell off a top chair, fell backwards, and died while the Apostle Paul was preaching. Now, fortunately for Paul, as well as the one who died, God gave the Apostle Paul the ability, the miraculous power to raise that person from the dead. What a way to be known as a preacher, though, right? You're the one that put him to sleep and literally killed him with your message, His truth was powerful. His communication of that truth, not so much. He says so right here. He says, I know I'm not the best of speakers. I agree that these false preachers are probably more dynamic, more powerful, more bold. They're easier to listen to and more interesting than I am. He says, I know that. But you know what I'm not rude in? You know what I'm not educated in? Knowledge. He says, I know truth, though. That I can help you with. And as long as you're willing to get past my inability to communicate it as effectively and strongly as others, there is truth in what I say. All right, that's what he's saying in this verse. Let's move on. Verse number seven. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? He said, hey, Did I do something wrong by lowering myself so that you might be lifted up? He says, have I lowered myself so much that you no longer actually see me as an authority of Scripture? Have I placed myself as such a low servant that you no longer respect me? Have I caused you spiritual offense because of the manner in which I serve you, you now don't follow the truth that I offer you? He goes on to talk about how when I was there in verse 8, I robbed other churches taking wages of them. Now, when he says "rob," he doesn't mean he actually, you know, held them up at, at, at knife point and took their money. He's saying, other churches gave me a living wage so that while I was in Corinth, you didn't have to. Now, that's interesting because the Corinthian church was, would have been in a wealthy area. Money would not have been a problem for this church Why would the Apostle Paul ask other churches who had less money to support him financially so he could be at a church full of wealthy people? Why? Because you know who often thinks most about money? Those who have the most of it. Not always, often. You know who is often more stingy with money? Those who have more of it. Not always, often. You know those who often think Others to be after money and money is their focus in life are those who have more of it. I think the Apostle Paul in his wisdom recognized, you guys, money is a big part of your life and I don't want you thinking that it's mine. I don't want you thinking I'm coming here for your money. The Apostle Paul says, literally, I'm I'm surrounded by wealthy people, but I'm going to have other churches support me while I'm here so that you in your wealth don't think I want your wealth. I don't want your wealth. fact, if you read the verses following, he goes on to say, not only did I rob other churches, not only did other churches support me while I was at your church, I will never take a dime from you, he says. You can read them. He says, continuing, I won't take money from you. I have not, and I will not. Now, what is he asking the church to do? He says, now consider, I'm paraphrasing, are these other people doing that? They claim to. They claim that they're like Paul. And they're not here for money. But the Apostle Paul is challenging the Corinthian church. Don't just hear their claim. Pay attention to what they're actually doing. And does their claim match their actions? False claims. Letter A. A false claim fails in action. Verse 6. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all these things. Meaning manifest we've proved it we've shown it we've illustrated the apostle paul says not only do i claim to have knowledge not only do i claim to be a servant not only do i claim to not want your money i have manifested i have proven my claims to be true how about these false teachers with their false gospel and their false claims their claims are empty they say one thing and they do another How many times has someone said, I love you, only for you to offend them, and their love is gone? How many preachers, how many spiritual leaders, how many deacons, how many Sunday school teachers in your life that says, I love you, I would do anything for, for you, only for you to make a decision they did not like, and now you are anathema to them? They've turned their back on you. They will never speak to you again. In the store, they literally go the opposite direction when they see you. The same people who once said, I love you. Well, when life got in the way, that love was proved to be empty. That claim was proved to be false. Christian, if we claim to love people, then that means we love them whether they go to this church or don't go to this church. If we came to love people, that means we love them whether they go to this church and if they, even if they stop going and going to a new church, we still love them. You do not walk the opposite way when a member who was once here at Meriden Hills is now somewhere else. You go to them, you give them a hug and say, it is so good to see you. How is everything? I hope your life is going well for you. And you mean it because you love them. I knew a pastor one time who literally from the pulpit, from the pulpit, told a church, I heard him say this. He said, do not have dinner or ask this person ever to your house ever again. And the only reason was that person went to a new church. The pastor from the pulpit telling the people, pretend this person no longer exists. It wasn't even like under the radar. It was just said out loud during a message for no other reason because the person changed churches that's a claim that's false when it's stated i love you only for the love to cease when the person goes to a new church and that's what's going on with these false teachers they're making claims that are not true the apostle paul says look at the claims i make now look at the actions they match look at the claims these people make do their actions prove their claims letter b a false claim fails in sincerity. Verse 7, I've committed, have I committed an offense in abasing myself? He says, essentially it's a you know, rhetorical question. I, I hope I have not done that, but you can at least see my reason for it. You can see that the reason I abased myself is because I wanted to serve you. You can see that the reason that I, I have uh, acted in such a manner is, verse 11, because I love you. He says, wherefore? Because I love you not, God knoweth. What is that? What is he talking about here? Well, he's saying in verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Meaning what? No man's going to keep me from telling others how much I love God, how much I love you. Boasting in my, in my honor to serve God and to serve you. If I'm going to boast anything, chapter 10, I'm going to boast in the glory of God. And I offer God glory with the opportunity I have to serve you sincerely. My love is sincere. My actions are sincere. My message is sincere. My claims are sincere. My desire to serve you is sincere so much that I don't want you to be distracted by money. So I won't take any from you who probably have more than most. I don't want your money. You can afford to pay me, but I'm afraid that by you paying me, you'll think that's why I'm there. The Apostle Paul says, look at my sincerity. Do you not see it? Now look at these false teachers. Do you really believe they're sincere? If you were to stop paying them, would they stick around? If you were to pay them less, would they stick around? If you were to change something in their job description, would they stick around? If you were to question them, would they stick around? And then letter C, these false claims of the false teachers, a false claim fails in testing. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. Verse 12, but what I do, that will I do, that I may cut off occasion from them, which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. All right, the Apostle Paul says, the things I do, I do so people don't have a reason and occasion to blaspheme God, to belittle me, to taint my testimony. The Apostle Paul was constantly asking himself, do my actions reflect God? When people see me, do they see God through me? I don't want to give them an occasion to bring shame on God through me. So, go ahead and test me. Go ahead. I don't mind. Judge me. That doesn't bother me. Take a look at my life. I'm not going to stop you. There are too many preachers out there that when a member goes to the pastor, to the preacher, to the deacon, to the trustee, and the member says, hey, I have a question. Why did you do this? And the preacher says, how dare you question me? You go to the pastor's wife and say, hey, was that really the best thing? Couldn't there have been a better way? And the wife goes to her husband, and the husband goes to the member and says, how dare you question my wife? There are too many leaders that not only limit your ability to test test them, actually attack you when you test them. Christian, it is your job. It is your responsibility to test the truth that is being spoken to you And to test the sincerity of those speaking it. That's your job. And anyone who keeps you from that job is hiding something. The Apostle Paul says, test me, I dare you. You're going to find my sincerity, my love for you is strong. He says, these guys, test them. And he says in verse 12, if you test them, do you really think, do you really think in verse 12, they will be found even as we, me, Luke, Uh, titus timothy do you think these false teachers when you test them will come out of the testing the same way i did and do there's no answer to that you obviously know what paul's thoughts are it's going to be a hard no they will not come out of that testing well test them and then number three a false teacher we've been talking about false teachers the whole time But mostly uh, talking about what the false teacher brings, a a false gospel and a false claim. Now let's talk about the false teacher themselves, letter A. A false teacher lifts up themselves. A genuine godly teacher is lifted up by God. Verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, these guys weren't lifted up by God. They lifted up themselves. These men weren't placed in their position by God. They placed themselves there. He says, they are not only deceitful, they are prideful, doing the opposite work that God would have them to do, teaching the opposite gospel that God has offered, and they are doing so through their own efforts. A false teacher says, look at me. A sincere teacher says, look at God and is lifted up by God. So how about it, Christian? Those people that you've allowed in your life, those you you listen to uh, on the radio, those you listen to on TV, I hope I am not the only one that you listen to for truth. I hope there are other men and women, books and podcasts. I hope there are other people that impart truth to you. That would be my desire. But make sure that these people who are imparting spiritual truth to you are not lifting up themselves. If they are honored, make sure it is God who has honored them, not themselves honoring themselves. Letter B, a false teacher may look like Christ. And here's where it gets a little tricky because this is so true. Just because they look like Christ doesn't mean they're following Christ. It is easy if someone understands The game, the Christian game, it's easy for someone to put on a false front. A false teacher can look like Christ, but a genuine teacher points to Christ. So very closely related to that first point that I made under uh, our, our final section here, that just like a false teacher lifts themselves up, a false teacher points to themselves a genuine teacher says, no, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ and me. A genuine teacher of the gospel sincerely believes the gospel and therefore recognizes that apart from the gospel, they are nothing. That without the gospel, we are cursed, wicked men and women. So a preacher of the gospel will say, there is nothing to see here except for the grace of God upon the life of another wretched sinner. Let me show you something worth looking at. Let me point to someone worth looking at. That's a sincere follower of Christ. That's a sincere disciple. That's a sincere, genuine teacher. But there's a lot of false teachers that say, look at me. Now, they'll justify it by saying, yes, God's been merciful to me, but look at what I've accomplished through his mercy. Look at what I've done through his grace. And they might twist it to almost sound like God sure is good to make me who I am today, but I am good to be who I am today. Yeah? Unfortunately, they add the second part of that sentence. If they just stopped at God is good for what he's done to me, then we're good. But once they go into, and I am good for what I've done for God, now we have a problem. A false teacher says, look here. A genuine teacher says, look there. And then let her see. A false teacher is just an actor. A genuine teacher is the disciple. Look at verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. We shouldn't be shocked that these men claim to be followers of Christ. We shouldn't be shocked that they even look like followers of Christ. Because even Satan himself, in verse 14, looks like an angel of light, can portray himself in a manner that if you saw him, you would think, that must be Michael the archangel. That must be Gabriel, the announcer of Christ's birth. Wow, this must be an angel of the Lord. Why? Well, look how they appear to us. Appearance is not everything. In fact, I would say appearance is a minor thing. Verse 15, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. The Apostle Paul saying, hey, as we saw in letter B, they may look like Christ doesn't mean they are followers of him. They're just illustrating what Satan does. They're good actors. And the end of verse 15, whose end shall be according to their works. A false teacher is an actor, but at some point... The actor has to take off the makeup. At some point, the cameras stop rolling. At some point, the audience exits the building. At some point, the actor has to let go, let it out, and be who they really are. And at some point, they will be found to be just that, actors. You know who the first ones to usually find out who, who the actors are? family. Isn't it interesting how the percentage of children from families of full-time ministers are, are so highly those who walk away from God? Isn't it interesting how those who claim to be followers of God can't seem to recreate that in their own children? Isn't it interesting that those who claim to train leaders and disciples of Christ can't seem to do the same with their own children? Could it be that the children see us for who we really are? And some of us are really good actors, and some of us are really bad actors. I'm not saying you're not saved, because there's no acting involved with salvation. I'm saying you are just a good actor when it comes to being a disciple of Christ, You claim to not only be saved, you claim to be a follower of Christ, which are not the same thing. Salvation is free. God offers it freely to anyone who accepts Christ through faith. It's given to you. If you have humility, recognizing that you're a sinner, if you have repentance, recognizing your sin hurt God, if you have faith, recognizing Christ can save you from your sin, you get saved. Nothing else. Done deal. But then, some want to claim But not only am I saved, I'm a true follower of Christ. I'm also a disciple of Christ. And our family, our spouse, our children says, no, you're not. (laughs) Sometimes I even wonder if you're saved. But you're definitely not a disciple. You're definitely not a follower. Because I see how you act with God's people. And I see how you act when the audience is gone. And you're not the same. Could it be? That a lot of pastors who are saved just aren't followers. Their children see it, and their children want nothing to do with it. Don't be one of them. Don't be an actor. Be genuine. Be a genuine, sincere disciple of Christ. Be a follower of Christ. Don't be an actor. Because in the end, people will recognize, and what you said will now be forgotten. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your people.